It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chilling by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion. Snow is on the way in the UK this weekend. But today's guest, Josh Poiston, is already practising for the new cricket season at Headingley's Indoor School. The Yorkshire leg spinner spoke to me about his preparations for the new season, meeting his idol Shane Warne, and how his life and career changed in July 2019. He also has a racing connection and is a fellow podcaster. It's interesting to note now after six months where some of our listeners come from. And we have a large following in Citrus Heights in California. It would be great to hear from you, so direct message me via the Twitter or Facebook page and I'll give you a mention on a future show. Enjoy today's podcast. Hello, Josh. Welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Well, thank you very much for being on the programme. How are Nets going at Headingley? Yeah, they're good. It's obviously a little bit different uh, training in more normal times, so we're kind of in smaller bubbles so in the last kind of training block we're split into groups of four which is different like we haven't done any like you know nets yet where you know the you bowl at um, batters it's more just um bowling by yourself or like batting against the machine or against one of the coaches on the um on the sidearm but um hopefully now in this next block leading into the season we'll do a bit more kind of normal training where you're bowling at bats and stuff but I would guess we're probably going to uh, stay in the bubbles just to mitigate any risk. So are you trying at the moment to smooth your action out things like that? Yeah I don't um, I'm not someone who mass, massively obsesses over like um, technique I think uh, I'd, I've got kind of like a stuff I'll always be working on that you know kind of that technique um repairing to kind of make sure my actions where it needs to be but I won't you know even not bowling at batters I'd, I'd be still be giving myself little challenges you know how many times can I hit my target or um you know making sure my variations are, are coming out how they should and, and one of the really good things about the bubble I'm in is um I'm with Adil Rashid who's got a little bit of time in the country at the moment as he prepares for the India White Ball series that's coming up. So 
I really made sure when I knew he was going to be around that I'd harass the coaches to make sure we're in the same group. So we've been bowling together, which has been great. You know, the, having the chance to pick his brains has been has been awesome, as it has throughout my whole time at Yorkshire, really. Oh, that's good to be learning off him, isn't it? Yeah. So are you going to be going out to a big tent at some point? Uh, I'm not 100% sure what the plans are at the moment. I know at one point we were still looking to go overseas like you probably would in the normal year. Um, but I think now that's just probably quite unrealistic for that to happen. So um, whether it's just trying the outside, probably play a, a few warm-up games in, in March leading into that first championship game in April. Um, but yeah, I don't know if they're going to go on the tent route or not. When I was at Warwickshire with that one year, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. I guess like most counties, they're not really sure what to do at the moment. They're just trying to work out what the best option is. Well, we're in, certainly in very strange times at the moment. And I've been looking um, online about this uh, talk to teammates initiative by the PCA. What, what have you thought of, of that development? Yeah, definitely. I think the PCA does so much good for us as players. And, uh, you know, it's a great initiative from them. I know that them and the you know, the uh, the charity they run, um, that used to be called the Benevolent Fund, they do a lot of uh, good for us as players. So, you know, it's a really good initiative. I think whether that's, you know, talking to current teammates, ex-teammates, people who you're really close to, or maybe people you haven't spoke to in a while, you know, it's really important. And I think just since March, really, when the pandemic hit, I think that's something that I've found for my own sanity has been really good to catch up with people. And especially in the first lockdown, when you had loads of time on your hands, you know, make it, you know, pick up the phone and speaking to old coaches, whatever it was, was something that I really enjoyed. And, you know, we're often very busy, so it's really nice to have that opportunity to, to ring people. And I think, yeah, it's certainly a, a brilliant initiative from the PCA. Yeah, reading the newspapers, you know, some some players have had some, some problems. So it's obviously a good thing to have available to everyone. Yeah, definitely. You see, um, I think they released some stats, didn't they, about how many players have accessed the confidential helpline they provide. And it was... It's quite a high number, you know, as you probably expect in a in a year like we just had. So yeah, it's, you know, it's, mental health is something that's really important in the whole world. But you know, in cricket in particular, there's been a lot of statistics done about the number of mental health issues that we have. So you know, checking on teammates and making sure everyone's okay and just communicating as best we can is something that's crucial. Well, let's start with your cricketing career. How did you first? get into cricket was it family friends school probably a combination of all three of those I think first of all my dad played so I remember when I was really young going to watch him play his, his village cricket and you know running around the boundary like you do a lot of kids do and then um as I was at primary school a couple of mates played and then ended up going to Brighton Life Cricket Club when I was kind of eight or nine and and you know running around in their in their cult sessions and then went from there really like you know I, used to go, I remember going there and kind of fall in love with the game and never really look back so that that was my route in the game and then you know as I got older um, I think that actually took a big big break from playing from when I was pretty young to, to I was probably in my early teens and then he started playing again so then it kind of process started again of going to watch him play and then eventually playing together. And was it always leg spin or were you a batsman to start with? Um, well I don't know yeah I used to bat a little bit I think at that level that level but yeah. uh, as most kids do, but I think um, I was actually a wicketkeeper for the first couple of years until I was probably about 12. Um, but I'd you know, always walk down to the county ground at Sussex when I was growing up at Hove because I literally went to school probably a 15-minute walk up the road to so always go down there and play in the nets whenever there was a game on and 
just mucking around bowling leg spin and you know I think there might have been a coach in there saying oh look you know you do that quite well maybe you should stick at it and then kind of went from there really it's probably when I was that age was when Shane Warne was really in his prime so um, leg spin was really in vogue and Sussex also signed Mushtaq Ahmed in 2003 as well when I was you know 12, 13 when I started so um, I think with having those being able to walk down from from school and watch Mushtaq Ahmed bowl you know really made leg spin that you know something that was always at the forefront of of the game and yeah just you know really enjoyed it and then um yes as I got older got you know more and more um fell more and more in love with it and probably now I've reached the uh stage of obsession yeah I'm going to see you played in the uh Sussex Premier League I think at only 14 I've read yeah yeah that was <laughs> I had a bit of a funny journey into the game so when I was that age I kind of like I said, I absolutely loved cricket, but definitely wasn't the best player of my age. Like I think I played one year of county age groups, Sussex under 14s, and then didn't get in the next year, which was probably like the right decision. But then, yeah, so Brighton North Cricket Club used to love it. I used to play. I remember times in the summer you played 14, 15 days worth of games in a in a row. So you'd be in the under 14s and you play right up to the under 16s, and then you play in the Sunday team. I played in the fourth eleven. I remember that first eleven game. I think they had, a, they had a cup game on a Sunday, and someone dropped out last minute, and then I was available as I always was. So I ended yeah. up playing. I remember in that game, I think um, Ollie Rayner, who went on to play for Sussex Middlesex, he was playing. So you know, I was playing against him. So it was just um, I remember being a bit in awe at the time. But yeah, it was, I, bet, yeah. I think that year I played for every eleven from fifth eleven to first eleven. So I just kind of went wherever there was a bit of opportunity. Well, let's move forward a little bit to um, your first class debut in, can't say a sunny April, although I don't know what the weather was like, but the 2nd, 3rd, 4th of April at Fenners. It's never normally very warm at Fenners for uh, the Cambridge University side. How did that come about? You played for them. Yeah, so um, like I said, so I only played one year of county age groups under 14s. And then the next time I kind of played for Sussex Down level was in the second team when I came back from having a gap year in Australia. And then... When I started playing a little bit of uh, county second team cricket, I um, decided to change what I was going to do at uni. So originally, like um, we were talking about before we started, I was going to do like a sport journalism course at Brighton Uni, but I decided, right, I want to give cricket a go. And the best option for my cricket was to go to one of the um, MCC university centres. Um, so we actually had a, a strength and coach at Sussex had just finished at um, Anglia Ruskin, which is where I ended up going and, and playing for the Cambridge MCCU team. So yeah, I went there. Chris Scott was our coach. I don't know if you've, you've come across in, in Cambridgeshire. Um, but then he, you know, so that game we were playing Essex and uh, we actually played three spinners because there was two other um, lads. So Zafran Sari went on to play for England and, and Paul Best, who I played with at Warwickshire. They, they were both in the side as well. So like, probably not the, the wise decision to play three spinners in like you said on April the 2nd but um yeah that was I remember, like looking I remember at the time being absolutely chuffed to just think oh whatever happens now I'm a first class cricketer you know even though it wasn't a uni game but um yeah that was that was a really special achievement for me and uh, Essex had a, a strong side that day I mean Alistair Cook was playing Ravi Bapara um James Foster um, yeah and Alistair Cook got 100 in the second innings uh, yeah he did your, yeah I remember you got your first wicket Mark Bettini in the second innings. Yeah, I remember that LBW. I think he just missed a straight one, um, basically. But yeah, you know, like I said I had 
uh, mum and dad came up, one of my best mates, and it was just, yeah, it was a really nice um, occasion for all of us. I remember, I think, Paul Grayson was coaching Essex, who's now at Yorkshire. Chris Wright played in that game, I think, for Essex, who became a really good mate and, and teammate at uh, Warwickshire. So, yeah, it's, it's funny now looking back, looking back on that game. Yeah, what was interesting about the game and myself, with a bit of research, you mentioned one of them, Zafar Ansari, who played for England. It was his first-class debut. Reese Topley, who's also played yeah, international right. cricket, it was his first-class debut as well. So uh, not what you necessarily expect in a, a game at Fenners in, in April. Yeah, yeah, so. definitely. And I so say you played a few more games for the university and uh, you played against Kevin Peterson, David Milan, and then I noticed another game the year after when you played Essex when um, they scored over 500 in, in about well, 88 overs and you had some tasty figures of 11 overs. Sorry about this. 96. For 96, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I thought I'd get that one in. <laughs> but um, as you said, you played for various second 11s and um, then you joined Warwickshire um, in 2014. How did that come about? Um so like I said, at uni, I had, I did okay in my performances. Like I said, there the was the Essex game, you know, there was ups and downs, as you probably would expect in a young leg spinner. But I think one thing I did do was I re- like really tried to use the opportunity to get better. So I um, worked really hard and, you know, always trying to learn. And I, I think I did each year. I got a little bit better. And then by my last year, um, I remember being on uh, our coach, Chris Scott's cage, uh, Chris Scott's um case because we had I saw that the unicorns were doing trials and I don't know if you remember the unicorns but they played mm, in the county yeah. um pro 40 competition and it was supposed to be made up of the best kind of non-contracted players so I said oh you know, we, you know would you mind putting me forward for a trial and he said yeah no worries so I trialed and then um did well in the trials and ended up playing for them and I actually had a bit of a funny season I, I played the first couple of games Again, from my ups and downs, my debut in particular was a bit of a crazy game at, at Taunton. I remember Marcus Scoffick properly got hold of me and then um, missed like pretty much the whole of that season because it broke my finger really bad. But I came back for the last couple of games and in those games I did really well, which was great for me because I proved to myself that I could um, do it at county first team level. But um, also I think that it opened up a few doors and in terms of trialling and kind of alerted me to a few counties. So uh, that was when Warwickshire came in. I ended up trialling for them in like one second team game end of that season, really. So that was kind of my path into into county cricket. Yeah, well, leading on to what you just said about the Warwickshire, you made your debut in a 50-over game at Lords, And uh, you'd mentioned the Unicorns. And I noticed when you played for the Unicorns against Middlesex, you got Owen Morgan out. And then in your debut List A game for Warwickshire, you got him out again. Um, just wondered whether he was your bunny. Definitely wouldn't call him a bunny, but I remember I got him out exactly the same way. He was trying to reverse suit me in both games. And like I said, I think that, that Unicorns experience was crucial because although it was my, like I said, my List A debut for Warwickshire, I'd, I'd literally been in that situation before, probably even harder because you're playing for with a team of amateurs really rather than and playing, you know, as with a team of professional cricketers, so that kind of really um, put me in good stead. And I think that was great as well because at uni I kind of played uh, Red Bull cricket, Red Bull first class cricket, and then I had the kind of list A experience with uh, Unicorn. So even going into a county setup like Warwickshire, like I knew that I'd I played at that level um, before, and you know, just kind of really helped me um, 
know what to expect when I went into that environment and, and those games. And then the following year, you made your county championship debut for Warwickshire against Sussex of all teams. That must have been a, 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 a tough debut as well, looking at um, the fact that Sussex scored 600 and you bowled 40 overs. Yeah, well, I think there was 12 wickets in four days in the game. So pretty, like ever since then, I haven't seen a game similar to that. So it's certainly a hard game to make your debut in. But I think it's funny, like I think we, we had Jutin Patel at Warwickshire, who's um, an amazing spinner and amazing for me to learn off um, over the years. And even now, I still speak to him a lot. Um, and then I was starting to play a little bit more and do well in the white ball stuff. So I think they wanted to play on a spinning wicket and it just turned out to, um, it spun a little bit on the first day and then it kind of flattened out. So yeah, it was a very, um, very flat wicket and a very interesting four days, particularly when we were batting as well. You know, they were, I think they had a, a T20 or something the next day. So they were kind of getting the physio onto field, like Ben <laughs> Brown was bowling left arm spin. You know, it was a, a pretty funny situation. But you you then became a regular in the T20 side at um, Warwickshire. Is that the format you prefer, or, or were opportunities in the Red Bull game less because of, as you say, Jeet and Patel being at Warwickshire? Yeah, I think I enjoy all formats. I think um, up until a couple of years ago, I probably played equal amounts of each format, you know, and had equal success in each format. Um, like if, just if you looked at my my stats, but you know I think I just think that T20 cricket sets and white ball cricket sets up better for a leg spinner. I think it's you know red ball cricket's a lot more of a challenge, but that's not to say that it's not something that I really enjoy and I've done well at before, and I think I can still offer um, a lot in that department. Um, so yeah, you know I'd, I'd say pretty equal, but yeah, I think um, particularly over the last couple of years, T20 is what I've predominantly played. And yeah, I just think you, have, you only have to look around the world to see the amount of wrist spinners that do well in, in T20 cricket. You know, we can spin it both ways. Um, you know, we have lots of variation. So, you know, maybe batters coming at you and the fielders out, um, I think this lends itself a bit better to wrist spin rather than, you know, having men around the bat and just having to really control things, uh, particularly in England where, let's say, Henley, for example, you know, where does quite a bit for the seamers and especially at Yorkshire our, our big strength is having you know an amazing seam attack so a lot of the time the spinner's job is um or you know is to kind of restrict the rate and just give the, the seamers a bit of a rest you know it's very different to um first class cricket in other parts of the world so yes yeah, so I just think it's uh wrist spin yeah it's just probably I'm babbling a bit but it definitely lends itself a bit better to, to T20 cricket. And in 2016, you also, uh, in the list day, in the 50-over competition, you played in the quarterfinal and semifinal for Warwickshire, uh, but you missed out of playing in the final. That must have been a disappointment. Yeah, yes and no, yes and no. I think um, just because of having Jeets at Warwickshire, I was always very, very in and out. Um, and so I think I, I played maybe the first or second group game and then didn't play against the quarterfinal. I had a really good quarterfinal then we won the semi-final but then you know like like I said I listened to your podcast with Ollie earlier like the fact that me missing out meant that Ollie played is you know one of my really good mates and the fact that he did so well and then the overall fact that we won it there's not really much time to be disappointed um and you know that was actually a really special day um and I'm like I remember Ollie talking about getting Sangakara out I think I probably 
would have given Usain Bolt a good re- uh, good race and the amount of time it took me to, to get the drinks out of there and give him a big hug. So it was, <laughs> you know, like obviously I'd much rather have played. You never know what's going to happen. But the main thing is we won and that was a really special day and, and night celebrating with everyone. So. Well, in 2018, you moved on loan to Yorkshire. Was that because of the lack of opportunities more than anything else? Um, I, yeah, I guess that is probably a simple answer. I think, um, you know, we had Jeets of Warwickshire, who was amazing and, um, like I said, learned a lot from, but I was always just really in and out. Um, so you and Yorkshire came in, you know, I was in the last year of my contract at Warwickshire and they came in with, you know, the chance to play a bit more cricket um, and for a, a longer contract, you know, and, you know, to move to such a big club, it, it wasn't really something I had to think twice about. And you became a regular there in, in the 50-over side in 2019, up until July, when you were just lobbing a few um, balls down to England player Dominic Bess. And then, well, you can take the story from there. Tell the listeners what happened. Yeah, so that was my first full season at Yorkshire. Um, like I said, I played every 50-over game, which was great. And then we just got into T20 and played the first game. Um, so, you know, looking forward to uh, having a really good uh, opportunity to play some regular cricket. And then, yeah, like you said, just giving throwdowns to Bessie, doing a bit of extra uh, batting practice at the end. And he just kind of, um, you know, completely by accident, just whacked one straight back at me and just basically couldn't get out of the way of it and hit me in the side of the head. So, it um, wasn't ideal. I think at the time I was obviously very shocked and everyone around me was probably more shocked than me um, just because it, it was a pretty nasty incident. But I kind of felt OK for the next couple of hours. But, you know, like we have in cricket, there's uh, really strong concussion protocols. So I uh, ended up um, doing a concussion test with our physio and, you know, he said it wasn't quite there to pass it just because I had a few symptoms of concussion. So we actually had the Roses game was maybe two or three days later. So I was, you know, really keen to pass the con- concussion test. Um, and so I don't know if I was putting on a brave face or what, but as soon as I knew that I'd failed the concussion test and I was going to be out for a period of time, I just started feeling not great. Um, threw up, came home, basically went straight to bed. I'm lucky that I live with our uh, strength mission coach so he could keep an eye on me. And then I think when I threw up an hour or so later, um, that was a real kind of, red flag for something more serious um maybe happening then I had to go to hospital and then yeah really didn't feel feel great at all and then got a scan and then by the time all that had happened I actually started feeling okay again so I was just thinking right I haven't felt great but you know the scan's going to come back with nothing and then I'll be good to go you know a bit of rest and then hopefully come back in a couple of weeks for the rest of the T20 campaign but the um you know I remember when the doctor came to show me the scan results just uh a really serious look on her face and I thought right here we go what's this going to be um and basically said that I'd fractured my skull um had internal bleeding um in my brain and then uh, bruising on the brain as well um obviously three not great things to hear and I think especially when I rang my um family and my fiance straight after <laughs> it didn't didn't sound great um no. so that to them but um you know thankfully I'd Within a couple of weeks, I I felt fine again, but it meant that my season was over, which was obviously really frustrating. So you, within a couple of weeks, you felt okay, yeah? Yeah, basically I had to stay in hospital for about forty-eight hours. You know, I did loads of tests, 
um, just to monitor how I was going. Um, and then I had about two weeks where I kind of just felt probably hungover is the best way of putting it, you know, just um, no real appetite, um, niggly kind of headaches and stuff. Um, and then after that, yeah, I kind of felt fine, but just because of um, something called second impact syndrome, which is if you get hit again in the same place, there's no kind of protection for the brain, so it can be really bad. Um, that meant that my season was done. Um, and, you know, looking back now, it's quite funny. I remember just lying there in hospital thinking, like, when the specialist told me that my, you know, my season was done, just thinking, what am I going to do here? And I thought, well, I, you know, I asked the surgeon if I could play golf. And he said, yeah, yeah, of course, like, you know, as long as you wear protection which I thought was a bit of a funny thing to say. So I said, oh, you know, what do you mean wear protection? He's like, yeah, just wear your cricket helmet when you're playing golf, like, you'd be fine. I'm thinking, like, I can't wear my cricket helmet. <laughs> um, so I spent the next couple of hours researching, and we, he basically um, agreed that I could play golf if I wore, like, a kind of builder's bump cap. So, um, yeah, a bit of, bit of a crazy incident. But, you know, thankfully I was okay, and I think, you know, it actually could have been a lot worse. So, um, yeah, just glad that I made a full recovery. Yeah, wearing a cricket helmet, playing golf would be interesting. But um, does it, uh, there's been things in the press make you think that in some of the T20, T10 or even T50 uh, over games that we could see bowlers wearing some sort of skin type helmets as well? Yeah, um, certainly after it happened, a lot of people asked me if I, you know, if that was something I was going to look into or whatever. But the fact that I was just kind of lobbing up off spinners probably made it a bit easier to return to the game. You know, if I was bowling in a game and it got whacked back at me, maybe it'd be different. But mm. the fact that I was just kind of lobbing them up for Bessie Tit meant that I never really had any mental baggage, I guess, when I came back. Like, and I think when I came back, one of the first sessions I did, just by chance, was like a short ball session on the machine and I'm feeling completely fine. So knowing in my head that I was I was going to be okay. But yeah, I know like one of my teammates, Ben Code, has, has looked into getting helmets made for bowlers and... I spent some time in New Zealand last winter and one of the bowlers for the for Canterbury, like the state team where I was playing club cricket in Christchurch, he bowled in a kind of hockey match. So, you know, I've seen people do it. But for me, like, I guess if, if a product came on the market, you'd have to think about it. But I'm pretty content um, not wearing protection at the moment because although, you know, you have seen it happen in other cases, say, for example, like Luke Fletcher, mm-hmm. what happened at Edgebaston, like, you know, I was there that night and, Sam Haynes when I went really close mates like, and it was just a scary instant for everyone involved but it is a freak accident so you obviously never know what's going to happen but um, yeah I guess you just have to think about it if, if the product did did become available. Well you got back playing again for Yorkshire last season obviously a strange season last year but I wanted to uh, go back a bit because you've also played in a test match um, back in 2015. Played, played in- loose loose saying yeah well it's all good publicity isn't it for a podcast to say you've got a um, someone who's played in a test match um and this is the third test against australia in 2015 which england won by eight wickets and you also got a catch because you got a catch off moen alley's bowling getting out mitchell stark on the 31st of july you were the gary pratt of 2015 how much notice did you get and were you 12th man that day anyway um, it'd been brewing for a while, but it didn't really play out how I thought. Um, so, like I said, that was that was the same year that I made my county championship day for uh, county championship debut for Warwickshire, and that was my first full season as a as a professional. So I was, you know, 
I was absolutely loving life. I'd, I was playing um, pretty much every T20 for Warwickshire and, you know, bowling pretty well. Everything was going great. And I said to um, Dougie Brown, who was our coach at Warwickshire, you know, is, uh, with the test match coming up at Edgebaston, is there any chance that, you know, you could kind of set up me meeting Shane Warne? Cause, you know, like I said earlier with Adil Rashid or, or any spinners, like, you know, I really enjoy, um, no, do I enjoy picking the brains of other spinners, but um, I think it's, for me, it's like a really crucial part of learning is, is speaking to other spinners and Shane Warne was my hero growing up. So if the chance came to meet him, you know, I was always going to take it. So I said, right, you know, can we sort it out? And he said, yeah, right. He said, you do 12th man um, for the test match. Um, and, you know, I felt okay, but I'm probably not one of the best, wasn't one of the best fielders at Warwickshire so the plan was kind of me to go there and and just run the drinks but never have to field um and so yeah so I remember day one I wasn't actually there because we played um a one-day game at Chelmsford so I think that was a day-night game so I finished at whatever 10 driving all the way back to Birmingham um next day did 12th man but um didn't meet Shane Warne um didn't field um, but then it was right sorted, right, the next morning you're going to meet Shane Warne. So I went to Nets at whatever it was, 9 o'clock, met him. Um, and that was amazing, you know, to have the chance to, you know, meet my hero, really. And he was so generous with his time. Um, I remember, I don't know if you remember, they, they had the um, Sky Zone or the Ashes Zone, whatever they have. Oh, yes, and, yeah. Um, he was actually doing a masterclass, so he was bowling at Ponting and Healy was keeping. Mm. Um, and I kind of got there a little bit early, so I was bowling in tandem with with Warren at Ponting, which was a pretty surreal experience. Um, with Healy behind the stumps as well, and then you know just got a really good chance to pick his brains. And then I based on my fielding warm up before that with the England fielding coach, and uh, they started doing the masterclass, and I thought, all right, I'm going to hang around and, and get a photo of him because you know this is real once in a lifetime opportunity for me. So I'm, I'm there hanging around and. Um, the fielding coach comes running over and says, Josh, what are you doing? Like, you're fielding. And I just, you know, struggling to process the information. But basically, Jimmy Anderson had got injured the day before. And I think there was at least two lads ahead of me who was supposed to field. Um, but one lad was Andy Amid, my old teammate, who is actually Scottish. And they found out he was Scottish. And they said, oh, you can't field. You know, we don't want Aussies kicking up a stink. And then my other team, watch teammate, Tom Lewis, think he'd gone in the hammy or something um so there so then you know next thing I know I'm actually I still got the photo of one you can see on my face that I've, I look a bit rattled um but um yeah and then so next thing I know you know I'm running obviously the ground's absolutely rammed because it's 10 minutes before going out um so you know security's helping me through you know telling me to get out of the way get to the change room my teammates got my kit and then literally next thing I know I'm walking down the steps and Jerusalem's playing and I'm just thinking, what is going on here? Um, and yeah, it was just like, Jimmy Anderson was properly injured, so he wasn't even on the pitch. So I probably fielded for about an hour and a half or so, maybe two hours. Um, but yeah, just uh, a crazy experience. I spent a lot of time in Australia playing great cricket, so knowing that all my mates in not only England, but Australia would be watching, watching. it was uh, yeah. quite a nerve-wracking experience. So where was the catch? Where did Mitchell start hit the ball to? Uh, so I was fielding at like, kind of cover um sitting a little bit but um yeah it's just it's just funny and like you know even my watch teammates like I said you know I'm not wasn't one of the best fielders in the squad so I knew a lot of them would be questioning what I was doing out there um as probably a lot of county cricketers were and I'm, actually the week before I'd been 
I'd had a bit of a um, complete field in blunder with my old captain, Varon Chopra. We kind of left it for each other in the TV game. So, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just a funny situation. And Stuart Broad actually said to me after, he's like, yeah, I remember watching that last week and thinking kind of, you know, what are you doing out here? So, yeah, it was definitely <laughs> a, uh, an interesting experience. Oh, at least you can say you've got a, a, a catch in a test match. There's something to say. But just talking about lockdown, um, I didn't mention it at the beginning, but you're the first person I think I've interviewed that's um, set up their own podcast. And on your first show, you said that every every man and his dog had been setting up a podcast. So perhaps I'm the dog here. But um, <laughs> why did why did you start the podcast and how has it gone? Um, I think I'm one like I always like to keep busy first of all. So when lockdown hit, you know, I was thinking, right, what can I do to be productive in my time? And the first couple of months, I kind of did a few online courses, but I was managed the delivery boy. I went back home to my mum and dad. So I had my um, dad was working from home. My sister's working from home. My fiance's working from home. My mum volunteers um, for Shout, a charity. So she was working and I'm just there not really doing much. So I kind of just said to her, right, if you ever need a cup of tea or food or whatever, then just message me and I'll bring it up. So I started doing that. Um and then as it went on, you know, I thought, right, maybe I can do something else a bit more um, productive. And I, I'd thought about doing a setting up podcast because I really enjoy podcasts. Um, but I just thought, no, you know, there's no chance I'm going to know how to do that or have the time to do it. And I started kind of mucking around with it and thought, right, I think I could actually do this. And then just asked a few people what they thought. And they all said they thought it was a good idea. And, yeah, I just thought like um, I mentioned earlier about Rashid and Warren, I just think the conversations that I've had with spinners have been some of my best learnings. It's a very specific skill. So, you know, it, it takes talking to someone who's um, very knowledgeable about the area to kind of pick up the nuggets that can really help you. So I thought if I can share the conversations that I've had, that's something that's going to be um, really helpful for, for young spinners. And I think, you know, not only is it helpful for young spinners, but for me, um, so if I went and wanted to go into spin coaching after finishing, which is something again that I'm really passionate about, um, you know, hopefully I can I can show that um, I am, you know, kind of trying to help young spinners. It sounds like it's a good move for you then, and it's kept you busy. I, I can assure you, doing podcasting has kept me busy, and it's called the Spin Badger. Um, has the feedback been good as well? Yes, yeah, feedback's been great. Um, got lots of really nice messages from. Um, Young spinners, you know, parents of, of kids who, who bowl spin or um, even just other um, spin bowlers kind of around the county circuit um, just saying they've enjoyed it. So that's been, that's been really nice. Um, has, you know, I've been really fortunate in my career that I've met a lot of great spinners and people who are knowledgeable about spin. So that's been great to, to share, you know, kind of their philosophy and their, their journey as, as spinners. Um, in particular, like Jeet and Patel, who I've mentioned, you know, has been a massive influence for me, and and Stuart McGill as well, as someone who I've spent a lot of time with, and um, has you know been such a great help to me. It's really nice to share their their kind of um, philosophy, not only for others but also for me to kind of revisit those conversations I've had and probably just reflect a little bit on on my bowling as well. It's been been a really good process. Well, you're certainly learning off some some good people there. Just on that on that subject, who would you say is the best batsman you've bowled to? I hate bowling at Scoffic. You know, like I said, LA, he's, he's taken me down before. Um, so there's definitely a few demons there standing at the top of my mark. 
apart from that, it's hard to say. I've been lucky, you know, played against lots of lots of brilliant players. Um, yeah, but I'd say, you know, in particular, I found Bantroscopic my, my hardest opponent. So when he retired, I was certainly pretty happy. And also for um, this podcast, the Paddock and the Pavilion, you've also got a, a racing connection that Ollie was saying that uh, with your dad, I think, isn't it? Yeah, so my dad really likes his horse racing. Um, he owns, I think, one horse outright, and then he's got a share and a couple of others. Um, so it's something that's always on the telly when I go home or, you know, always been around going to the races when I was a bit younger. But I think anyone who knows my dad will say he's a very lucky man, um, and that's certainly been the case in his um, horse racing ownership. So the horse he owns outright is uh, Ding Ding, and she's a bit of a um, track specialist for Plumpton. I think she's won six times there. Um, so we're joking a couple more wins and she'll have to have a statue there but um but yeah he's, she's been uh she's been great i will look out for that and it's called ding ding yeah ding ding yep yeah. so if it's ever run it plumped in it's never that far away and then a couple of other harmonize and air hair lair which ran at uh, royal ascot as well last june so good and what about the future for josh poiston more podcasts no uh more cricket hopefully this year yeah, um, you know, yeah, more cricket is, is the main thing, really. I think, like, you spoke about my head injury, and then even last year, you know, it was a shortened season for everyone, but um, I managed to get caught in a bit of a kind of um, COVID bubble where I had to isolate for a couple of weeks right in the middle of our of our T20 season as well. So I think I've had a bit of bad luck the last couple of years. So yeah. um, I think the main thing this year is just want to play as much as I can and kind of go from there, really. And just, you know, with my journey into the game, I've achieved a lot of things that I never thought I would. So I think going forward, that's you know, still a lot I want to do in the game. And then post-playing, whatever that may be. Um, like I said, you know, I really enjoy spin bowling. So maybe spin coaching or, you know, maybe something completely different. You never really know. So, yeah, just, just see how it plays out, really. Well, certainly with, with leg spin bowling or spin, spin bowling in general, there's probably opportunities if you do well with, with franchise cricket as well. Yeah, definitely. I think the ultimate... Uh, Everyone is playing for England, and that's definitely how I feel. But if you don't play for England, you know, there's some really good opportunities to play franchise cricket at the moment. We've got the 100 starting this year. Um, I didn't get picked up in the original draft. Like I said, I missed a lot of cricket in the last couple of years, so I wasn't really expecting to. But I think if, if I have a good T20 campaign uh, this year, hopefully I can push forward and, and um, get an opportunity in that. And then, yeah, like you said, you know, there's loads of franchise branches around the world. Um, like spending a lot of time in Sydney, I'd absolutely love to play in the Big Bash. Um, that'd be that's something that'd be great. Um, and my fiance is Aussie. I know she'd really enjoy that. But um, yeah, I guess just just see how it goes, really. Yeah, I think the final of the Big Bash is this Saturday. I think isn't it Saturday morning? Yeah, we've we've had a lot of that on in the morning, which has been quite a good entertainment. Well, the other good thing to to say today is that we've got um, cricket coming on Channel Four as well on. Uh, on Friday with a test match which is which is good but uh, thank you very much for coming on the paddock and the pavilion uh, best of luck for the new season and for the spin badger podcast brilliant thanks for having me Stephen thank you thank you for listening to the paddock and the pavilion you can download the show on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher and spotify follow us on twitter and facebook at the pad and pad Podcast Network. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.